it's just a marketing stunt. Seriously, yeah, it really was, and it was it was pretty lame. So, with this being kind of like a, a milestone episode, I kind of wanted to just touch on something that we kind of use every time we record, and that is the name of the podcast. So, I don't think we ever really explained where it is we got the name Afflictionados podcast from, and I just kind of wanted to do like a little a brief history lesson, I guess, for the, the audience members. Like, when we started, we had no idea how this was going to be. We didn't really know like what direction it was going to go and we didn't know what it was going to be called. Do you guys remember what the process was like trying to come up with a name? I remember it was like a good like month long process of like, what do you think about this? Yeah, um, was, yeah. that sounds stupid. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember what any of the other ideas you had? No, the only other one, because I was kind of really focusing on Pulp Fiction at the time. And I mean, I still love Pulp Fiction. I still want to do that movie at some point. I just realized that there are a lot of other movies that you guys are individually and collectively more into. So I'm willing to put Pulp Fiction more on the back burner for now. But I was I was kind of focused on that initially when we were coming up with the idea of like what we wanted to do. And I remember one of them was, um, I think it was Pulp Fiction. And I was like, <laughs> nah. I think I pitched that to Michael, and he was just like, mm, let's keep looking. That <laughs> thing went down in a fiery, in fiery flames. Ah, yeah, that was the Hindenburg right there. That's right. Mayday. No, the humanity. I ended up coming on, I think, after you had already picked the name and stuff. I, I, came, I think I came on after you picked the name, but I helped you pick the theme music and stuff. Oh, okay. So, yeah, well, the whole process, I mean – it's not like we just thought, okay, you know, let's start a podcast. And then a week yeah. later we're doing it. So the name took a month and then trying to come up with like the logistics of like, where we're going to host this and how we're going to record. And when you think about it, there's a lot that goes into podcasting and starting from scratch, it's kind of daunting, but if you start chipping away little by little, then it's not so bad. You came on around the time that we finalized the name, but we didn't have like a logo or anything like that. Yeah couple weeks just trying to hash out what's our logo going to look like um there's like this thumbnail that is a, <laughs> i still have where i think this was like right before you came aboard you know it's still in its infancy i remember asking michael like hey send me like a, a photo but like you kind of looking off to the side almost like 45 oh degrees you know i don't know where this is going but it sounds, sounds pretty bad that was basically going to be the logo both of us just kind of like slightly looking off it to the side I don't know. I, I was trying to make it all like comic booky looking or something like that. Um, so that's still around there somewhere. But that was like the initial one. And I, I remember thinking that, why am I trying to overcomplicate this? I almost feel like some of the best logos are the, the simple ones, the ones that there isn't really much to it, but yet that's what makes it so classy. And I feel like that's true. the tone of the show comes naturally through, I, I guess, the simplicity of it, really. Michael, what was your initial thought when you're seeing like the different logos and stuff? I mean, I just, I just knew when, when it was right. I think the Hollywood, I think we had actually discussed, I don't even know if we'd actually, I'd seen the photo, but when you had said that you would be using kind of the Hollywood Hills sign, I like that thought. And the affliction autos, when, when I just knew, I just knew it was right. It was one of those things like intuitively where you had the options of the names. We'd kind of been narrowing it down. And I had said, you had mentioned something about like, or we had spitballed something. I don't remember who what who said what, but it was like um like we were aficionados, like cigar <laughs> aficionados mm -hmm. or something like that, and it just sounded more sophisticated. But then 
I thought it was so playful when you suggested using flicks, afflictionados. I was like, oh, that just rolls so well. It just sounded, it sounded so fun and it, it did sound sophisticated, but like playful again. Yeah. And the whole using of the, the using the, the Hollywood Hills, I thought was brilliant. And the, 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 the black and white um, background with the, with the signage being in color. I, I really loved that. I just, I thought it was uh, well done. And I don't know if anyone realizes that, but I still use the color scheme for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> If you look at the <laughs> box art, it's like black with um, like the red and yellow lettering. And so I adopted that. What I wanted to do was play off of a lot of different things that involve movies. So Pulp Fiction is a movie in and of itself. You got the Hollywood sign and then the red flicks part kind of hinting at Netflix at the same time, because I didn't realize this until I made it red. But I think Netflix uses the same Hollywood sign font. And that's what I used for Afflictionados. It was just the font. Oh, how funny. And then I arranged it approximately the same as Hollywood Land. And then I don't know if anyone knew about the podcast part, but that was very specific as well. So the part that goes down and it being in white, that I ripped from Hollywood Video. Oh, shit. It's almost like that military font, but it's slanted downward. So there's a lot of different yeah. influences going on. I like that. A lot of thought, exactly. No, it's awesome. Hollywood video, man. What the heck? That's so dope. And then, Steph, you were mentioning the audio logo, so yeah, like our intro song. song. So, yeah. So when I came on, when I came on, that took a uh, while. You already, you had already picked the name, and I think we maybe even made the logo already. You showed them to me, and I liked them and stuff. So I didn't fight you on that. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, you know, help me. You know, what do you think of these these music clips? If you're getting ready to. You know find some some music clips to purchase you sent me you know we listened to a few of them and i would give you my opinion you know this one i like this one better this one sounds more epic or whatever we probably had like a good 10 songs and honestly shopping for songs they all start sounding the same after like the 10th song i know but i tried my hardest to have a, a legit opinion on everyone like listen to them real hard you know so i tried <laughs> really I contemplated. Was, i was serious it was easy for me to cut you know, cut the ones out where I was like, no, this, you know, I definitely don't like this one. Which was a big help, honestly, just narrowing it down, curating exactly. it. Exactly. And then once we were able to narrow it down to like three or four, then it became a lot easier. And then we ended up with what we're using today. Yeah. I wonder if, because Michael's brother is a DJ, I wonder if he might be able to like remix at some point. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. That would be so fun. That would be cool. So just like an idea. Version. Yeah. oh snap yeah i think what typically everyone kind of goes for is like this like really fast pace or like dubstepy type of theme you know something like really upbeat and and loud frankly <laughs> too loud and i wanted something that was going to represent us I, i've heard some podcasts where you got this really upbeat music but then they're really mellow so it doesn't really fit the vibe and then i've seen others where you have this they're more upbeat but then they have this really slow kind of like chill song so i don't know i just wanted to kind of strike a balance between something that was pretty hype you know like it'll get you amped but also at the same time like we're we're here to get a job done we're pretty professional at least i like to think so we have fun just like anyone else uh, on their podcast but we're also not like overly obnoxious or anything like that. So I, I, I feel like balance is key here. Mm -hmm. Sets the tone. Yeah. Pun intended. I agree. So I just thought it'd be kind of fun to cover that. Yeah. I think I think that's uh that is fun. You know, a lot of people know they just see it and they might have just thought it just was thrown together, but there's there's definitely a lot of thought that's gone into it. All right, so let's get started.
That's my bit. How are you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Auto's podcast, our triumvirate milestone episode, episode 25. My name is Eric, and the other voices occupying your head this time are a proud mother of three, lab geek, my sister and co-host, Stephanie. (laughs) And the other voice occupying your head is a man of many trades, good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. Hello, love. Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. If you have been with us since the beginning, then... I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the show is available on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. That also includes YouTube, where you can find us at Afflictionados Podcast. So give us a like and subscribe. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. This is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also cover TV shows and other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will only be the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in this episode, we will be discussing the neo-noir psychological thriller, Nightcrawler, released in 2014, directed by Dan Gilroy. Uh. I didn't even realize it was that old. Steph, you have seen this uh, trailer before, right? It, we weren't the ones that introduced you to this movie. No, I'd actually I heard about the movie before, seen you know seen the trailer on TV or whatever it was, you know, and I wanted to see it, but I never really I, it never really happened. I don't know if uh, my husband had seen it or something, um, but it was on TV. I want to say like oh, I want to say last year, maybe even the year before, and I. And I think I came in right at the end, right? Actually, right around the time that Rick dies is when I came in. And then I watched it all the way to the end after that. Oh, like, tight. Damn, this seems bleak. <laughs> so he told me what it was about because I can't remember what I thought it was about, but it wasn't this. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm still interested. I'll watch it one day, but I kind of never did. And so I finally did for this today here. Nice. So you saw for the first time just today. Yes yesterday today what was your initial thought of the movie because i know going in when i saw the trailer for it i was just really curious about it there was something that i thought was really refreshing um it was like a subject matter that i had never seen before i I like jake Hall. i think he's a great actor and it was interesting seeing the type of role because it looked like i remember distinctly the part when he's in the trailer where he's like looking in the mirror and he like shakes it, you know, and he's just like, ah! yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just thinking like, man, this guy is psycho. I was just really curious to see this movie. Well, um, you know, like I mentioned, I, I got very little exposure to it. And so I was, my, my interest was just ever so slightly peaked. Right. And again, I had kind of no idea what it was about. So I, I started watching it yesterday and you know, I kind of, I, last time I had seen any of it, it was from pretty much the most exciting part on. And so I started watching it yesterday and I was like, damn, if this just cuts between showing the most boring parts of LA or showing a bunch of guys just dropping F-bombs at each other. <laughs> it's like, so like, I feel like the whole first half of the movie, that's pretty much all it was, right? And then of course, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal being creepy as fuck. Yeah. But she does a great job. So at. Michael, what was your initial thought? Um, well, you had me at hello. I am and have been a Jake Gyllenhaal fan for quite a long time. Uh, actually, since October Sky, uh, I might be dating myself here to say that I, I did see that in theaters. I think that was the first movie with him I had ever seen. That's a great movie. Oh, snap. Yeah, great I movie. fucking loved that movie. It's such a good movie. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I was I was like, sign me up. It, it looked cool, but it did. 
it's <laughs> I like how adventurous he is and you, some of these independent films he's been willing to do and not just blockbuster hits things like that obviously he'd done Prince of Persia before this and that kind of thing but so for this role it almost felt a little like when I saw him it was almost like the machinist you know like Christian Bale just kind of he was a little bit more gaunt yeah not not, not as full as he's yeah exactly so yeah. I remember he bulked up for Prince of Persia. So if this came after, he's like super skinny compared to how he was in Prince of Persia. Big time, right? I was actually reading this article because I was looking. I was, you know, I was thinking about his role, and I was thinking, man, like he's not quite a sociopath, but he's kind of socio. He's a little bit sociopathic. So I, I just kind of googled it to see what I come up with, and I came across this article where a couple of psychologists talked about it. Uh, they did touch on how Jake Gyllenhaal was super uh, into this role and. What the the director? What's his name? Uh, Gilroy, Dan Gilroy, Dan mm-hmm. Gilroy. He kind of gave him a little bit of creative license. Like he just kind of described the character character to him how he wanted him to come across. Mm-hmm. And Jake Gyllenhaal thought that he would be skinnier, so he went on a diet of like kale salads and something else and uh, lost thirty pounds. No, no, he, he he ate kale salads and ran fifteen miles a day. That's what he did. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what's actually interesting about Dan Gilroy is that this was his directorial debut, which I did not know. Yeah, he was a writer before, just a writer before that, right? Yeah, so he he had worked on quite a few uh, big movies, um, like some of his movies, Free Jack, The Bourne Legacy, and Kong yeah. Skull and Island. Like he's he's done some pretty big movies, well-known movies. Gilroy received the not received he conceived the idea for Nightcrawler back in 1988, apparently. So he was reading through this photo book called Naked City, which was a collection of photos taken by American photographer Ouija of 1940s New York City residents at night. And mm. when he was looking through it, he often saw like lewd and sensationalized photos. Apparently, Ouija would sell these photos to tabloid newspapers. And so he's just like, hmm, okay. I feel like you can just get like a little hint of an idea or you, you see like one little piece of work it sprouts this huge idea just from that, you know? I feel like it happens to me all the time. And I think this is why people are able to make movies out of like short stories is because you hear just like a little tiny compact story and then you're like, I like that, but but I want to take it in a different direction and expand on it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just feel like that happens to me all the time. And it was interesting to see that Gilroy thought of this entire movie from looking through just like a little, you know, photo book. Yeah. And he spent several years trying to write a plot that would fit the the gritty setting, experimenting with ideas of like conspiracies and murder mysteries and stuff. He was basically focused on the central story elements, but he wasn't really getting anywhere. And so what he decided to do was design the characters first and then kind of like grow the setting out from that. And so I think that's where the Lou Bloom character started to develop. He started to bloom. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. He also purposefully left the protagonist's backstory out of the script, as Gilroy felt that without one, the audience would kind of be more engaged and even create their own backstories for the protagonist. So I thought that was actually pretty interesting because I was thinking like they don't really go into his backstory at all. They don't think about like family members or uh, his upbringing yeah. or anything like that at all. They just they just kind of like jump right into it. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll just cover the uh, the big names in the movie really quick. So you have Jake Joan Hall, of course, as Lewis or Lou Bloom. And then you have Rene Russo as Nina. And then you have Bill Paxton as Joe Loader. Bill Paxton, did he die? Yeah, he passed away. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. Man, I freaking I love Bill Paxton. Yeah, what? yeah. When? Game over, man. Game over. Aww. I know. A few years ago, though, a lot of, a while back, 2018, something like that. 2017. 2017. Wow, just three years after this movie. I'm gonna have to watch Twister. Ah, uh, yeah. Paxton. Classic. Not not Bill Pullman of Independence Day. No, no, of course. <laughs> That was yeah. I'm, that was a whole ordeal. <laughs> where I can't mix it up. I, I don't know how many times I said Bill by accident, but Twister came out the same year as Independence Day. I was not that far off. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think this was probably his the last movie I saw of like his later work, and he did great in this movie. Uh, honestly, I actually thought that some of the dialogue was a little forced. Like how many times he had to say "bruh." <laughs> Bruh. The way I took it was that he was being obnoxious. Like I think he was trying to be like an old person, trying to sound younger. Yeah. He was using like younger lingo. Uh Jake Joan Hall was like supposed to be way younger than him. Joe Loder, that character had been in the game for years, right? What do you say? Like 15 years or something like that? Or even, yeah. even more? I mean, Lou was like barely getting into it. And who knows what the fuck he was doing before then? He was just like ripping like copper or whatever right yeah it's copper and fence and and manhole covers apparently who wants to buy manhole covers though that's ridiculous just, just wondering and i think it's interesting how they i don't, I don't know if, you, if this is like a symbolic thing but you know at the beginning he assaults that security guard and steals his watch because he gets caught while he's like clipping yeah, the fence stealing, and everything yeah. right and so he they make a point to point to show the watch at certain mm-hmm. points in the movie uh, particularly at the very end as he's walking away from the police station, you know? I did notice that too. I, I noticed like it kept like focusing on it a little bit more than you normally would. Yeah. Because it's that way of like reminding you that this guy's a fucking scumbag. <laughs> right before he, yeah. he attacks that security guard at the very beginning, it does start from like his waist and it slowly pans upward. You clearly see that watch on his wrist. Right after it shows that watch, it like pans to Jake's face and he's like kind of like glancing down kind of towards that direction. So it lets you know that he took an interest in it. You know, there was something about yeah, that watch. Exactly. And so I think he would have probably just beat that guy up and left. But I think he saw that watch and he was like, hmm, might as well just it. take he that kept too. Wearing it. Kept wearing it. Well, he likes souvenirs as well. Yeah, that's true. Like he, he takes like little mementos and stuff like a, that. Right? A memento, right. Right. I feel like that does say a lot about his character, though, and like a, a lot of his uh, personality is the fact that not only did he seem pretty calm and collected when he was caught, you know, he was just trying to like downplay a little bit, but he knew that he was going to attack that guy. It wasn't like he was just going to like run away. He like beat that guy down, and I don't know if he actually killed him or not. Did they ever explain that? I don't think. No, I think he just beat him up. I think this was like slowly it was starting to to build this picture, you know, paint this picture of who this Lou character is. And so immediately you're thinking like, yeah, this guy's a fucking piece of work, <laughs> scum of the earth type of guy. And he's the protagonist. Yeah, He's very much like the anti-hero. I think he he's really only the protagonist in the sense that this is his story. Yeah. Not, not a hero. Yeah. If it, this were from like anyone else's perspective, he would be a villain in that story. Right. Definitely. He's definitely the villain to to Joe Loder. Uh, Yeah, he didn't really seem like he would be a good person either, but I almost feel like Lou is on a different level. Yeah, I don't think anybody in this business really classifies as a good person, like someone who's just going to be, you know, and so the most vulnerable point in somebody's life and they're, they're, you know, he said it at the end, like if if he's around, then it's probably the worst day of your life. That probably goes for, you know, any of them. 
it was kind of cool to see him get knocked down a peg too, because you're, we get that this is the character that we're following in the movie, but he's not a likable person. Yeah. When he goes to that scrapyard and he's trying to sell the materials, the guy knows that he's like just stealing this shit from somewhere. He doesn't really care where, but he's just like, all right, cool. You know, thanks for the material. Here's what I'm going to give you. Fuck off. And then he has the balls to try to get a job with this guy that already doesn't really like him or trust him. And so like, I was like, no, I'm not going to fucking hire you. And he's like, um, okay, can I ask why? And he's like, because I'm not going to hire a fucking thief. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, could you blame him? Psychopath, yes or no? <laughs> I was going to say, we should play a game through the whole thing. Like, you know, different things that he does. Psychopath, yes or no? <laughs> yeah, straight up. <laughs> He's awkward and weird, and it, that's really obvious. Even though he's, you know, polite and nice and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's still super creepy and weird. And but he also knows the right thing to say that will make you do what he wants you to do. Yeah, it's trippy. He he is very manipulative. manipulative. Yeah, he's he's very sly in a lot of ways. I, I think a lot of that is probably like honestly self-preservation you know it's like survival of the fittest like this is a skill that he's learned to develop over time he knows that he's kind of weird looking people feel uncomfortable around him i would feel uncomfortable being around this guy like i feel like he would be either trying to steal my wallet or shank me or both so here i have this theory so i was reading this article and i think it was a couple psychologists kind of talking about this and they were taught they were saying that he has you know sociopathic traits um, you know, his lack of empathy, his, you know, the, the way he will just commit crimes and mm-hmm. the end, the end justifies the means. Right. The, yeah. The narcissism, the manipulation, like that sort of thing, you know, very, all very, um, all, all sociopathic traits. However, there are mm-hmm. other traits that he doesn't have. Like he's very, uh, I guess sociopaths are very impulsive and they do, you know, they, uh, usually fall into some sort of like substance abuse. And he doesn't do that. And he's very calm and calculated and everything's very strategic and planned out for him. You know, he has a very long-term goal, long-term business plan that that's not a sociopathic trait. And so, you know, I I guess the theory is kind of just like the goal wasn't necessarily to make him a sociopath, which is why he has some traits and not others that he just has, you know, whatever will suit what what he what uh you know dan Gilroy wants to get across in his movie i think that's what makes him more of an, an enigma is that you can't really pigeonhole him I mean, you can't classify him like yeah. black and white yeah, exactly and he's kind of like showing some signs but in other ways he's not do you think he he actually has like a formal education because he seems like he's he's quite intelligent as well he's and... a, well i mean it could go either way because that kind of goes with my theory is that I don't know. I don't even know if this is possible, to be honest. But my theory is that maybe he's a little bit sociopath and a little bit on the spectrum. Interesting. And so that's why he has all these traits of being a sociopath. But at the same time, he's super duper awkward and like doesn't know how to like talk to people and you know things like that. And um, I I could see that because a lot of times, if you encounter someone that's on the spectrum, you realize that in a lot of ways, people will, will think of them as being dumb. Yet, if you interact with them, they are super intelligent with specific topics, right? Or like subject matter. They're like experts at that, hyper-focused on it. Uh They know the fucking ins and outs, front and back. Yeah, exactly. So so I'm thinking, I mean, again, I don't know if it's even possible, but, you know, if it maybe being a little bit on the spectrum keeps him from going full-blown sociopath. And I was thinking, like, physically speaking, like him choosing to be so thin and kind of malnourished looking, 
I think that made his eyes bulge from his head a little bit more. Yeah, they like, like sit really deep in his skull when he's really skinny. Yeah, too, so. he has like those intense stares and his, yeah. his cheeks were all sucked in looking. A lot of those combined do add to the creepiness factor of him. And I'm sure he played that stuff up on purpose and I'm sure, you know, makeup played that stuff up on purpose. And... Right, right. On the way home, you know, he's driving on the freeway and he sees like a burning car crash on the side of the road and so he just stops i don't really know what his intent was because the police were already there you know had the flashing lights and everything and they were they're trying to pull this woman out of the car and so he just pulls over and just like starts walking up to like observe it which is really odd who does that (laughs) i was actually surprised that they weren't like "Whoa, whoa, whoa back the fuck off but i think they were just too focused on the uh victim of the car crash and then yeah that's when that news crew or whatever the the the, uh freelancers yeah the the stringers yeah they show up so stringers i guess that's like a slang term for freelance photojournalists and uh yeah they arrive to document the whole thing you almost see like this light bulb go off and he's just like whoa this is fucking cool you know like how do i get into this shit watching from like the shadows basically and no one even notices he's there and they're like doing their whole thing and couple different cameras and then they just head back to the van so he he asks them like hey so what are you guys like what do you guys do and that's where he meets joe loader for the first time oh my god i thought you were gonna say joe rogan (laughs) that's where he meets uh bill pullman (laughs) 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 joe obviously you know he's he's kind of standoffish but he does throw him a little bit of a bone and you know he explains what it is that they do and uh, he lets them know that they document things like this and then they sell it to local news stations. And so always looking for an opportunity. That's where Lou asks him for a job and gets turned down as well. So he gets turned down twice in the same day yeah. or same night. But you know, he's he's not going to take no for an answer. So he's, he's going to get in one way or another. But I think what's more important to note is that when he was at that scrapyard, he was just looking for any way to make money. But when he saw the stringers, he was thinking like, this is fucking dope. Like I actually want to do this. Yeah. And so that's why he just goes 110% with this. 110% being steal a bike and sell it. If you're going to get into the business, what do you need? You need, I guess the, the bare bones, you need a camcorder and you need a police radio scanner. And uh, he immediately acquires that, but I mean, not the the proper way oh, yeah. that like you normally would. Yeah. So how's he do it? Pawns a bike that he stole. Steals it. <laughs> yeah, the guy just like straight rolls up, locks up his bike, and immediately he just and he locks it up like super wrong. Let's snatch this up. But yeah, after acquiring the camera and the police radio scanner, he just fucking you know starts diving right in. He dives right in the deep end and starts uh, trying to document some shit. And what was the first one that he tries to document? The carjacking, right? Or is that just his first successful one? I think that was his first successful yeah. one. He's like rolling up and he's like super late and he can never get like a good angle because everything's already cleared up. I think there's like a little house fire or something and they've already put it out and they're like, you're late, bruh. You know, <laughs> Joe doing his thing. Bruh. Bruh. Uh-huh. I think the first time he actually gets a little taste of success was that fatal carjacking. They already pulled him out of the vehicle uh-huh. and he's on the stretcher or whatever. Or they're trying to like resuscitate him, right? And so he's like looking over their shoulder. And yeah. I think this is when you start to get the sense of like how little empathy this guy has. Cause I think even though these people, this is what they do for a living and they're recording the misfortunes of other people, they at least give them some space. You know, they're, they're back like 10 feet or something. Yeah. But Je- yeah. or uh, Lou, he's just like, 
fuck it. Why are we standing back here? Let me just walk right in here, you know? So he's, like, bumping elbows with them. He's just like, so what we got? What we got? Right. Oh, that looks like a gunshot. That doesn't look good. You think he's going to live? You think he's going to make it? Oh, he's already dead. That's cool. Let me get a close-up. And, uh, I mean, it does take him a little bit because he, (laughs) I think he's slowly gauging um, what he can get away with. Because it's like, if you don't try, then, you know, you'll never know. So instead of just, like, hanging back and pretending like, he belongs there he's just like well fuck yeah i'm gonna see how close i can get before people start telling me i need to back the fuck off because and i think that's what the firefighters are doing right like they're just like uh can you can you step away we're trying to do something here yeah 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 there was that one time he actually gets it shut down or whatever he like gets too close and they're like no all of you get out of here and joe rogan's all like oh you shut yeah us down, I, I think what was interesting about this position and him lacking that empathy is that they kind of complement each other I almost feel like that helps him excel at this job. Definitely. Because I feel like you wouldn't be able to do a job like that and have feeling. Yeah, this this is def- it definitely plays to his strengths, this job. It's like, it's like love at first sight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he definitely lit up when he was watching them for the first time. And so now he's obviously when you start off, he doesn't know much about it and he's kind of shitty at it. But, you know, he's doing his thing and he's learning. I think that's what's important to note is that um, with each failed a- a- attempt, he's like taking something from that experience and he's he's building on it each time he goes out he improves a little bit more i almost feel like he's more responsive whereas like he was like super late now he's like on site other stringers already there and so he kind of has to like work around them and like hold the camera over them you know because they're all lined up in front of him and uh, he has to kind of get creative but he starts improving quickly and he gets better and better at it so better in fact that he starts tampering with scenes to get the better shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, again, the lack of empathy, right? After the carjacking, he finally, he's, I think he's excited because he, he's going to get that dopamine now because he's going to sell this tape. I finally have something here. And so he goes to that KWLA 6 news station. That's where he runs into Nina. Nina Romina. That's a terrible name. It rhymes too Nina much. Romina. <laughs> They straight up buy it off of him, but, you know, he he only gets, like, some chump change for it. He doesn't really get anything noteworthy, but Nina actually gives Lou some tips as to, like, what kind of material they're looking for. So she's like, okay, so tip number one, get a better camera. It's kind of like us podcasting. You know, we start off. I had a shitty camera or not a shitty camera, but a shitty mic. Same. Uh, you had your, you went through a couple different mics. I went through, I went through a couple of different earbuds. Right. I actually bought a mic. Honestly, I understand everyone has to start somewhere and you eventually start learning these little tricks of the trade and improving on it. But if we never improved on the microphones, I don't think anyone would be able to listen to this. They'd just be like, I can't everything. I can't even understand yeah. what the fuck they're saying. My ears are being stabbed. In his line of work, it's yeah. all just the visual, you know, mainly. And then if he's able to get some audio in there, but it's mainly the visual. So if they couldn't really see what the fuck was going on, then no one's going to buy it. You know, it's all trash. So, yeah, that was like tip number one that she said was like, get a better camera because this like family camcorder thing that you're using, whatever the hell this thing is from like 10 years ago, it ain't working. And so, yeah, he takes that into account. I think he immediately like, that's like one of the first things he gets like when he actually starts getting money. She was kind of like telling him that they look for like specific things. Like there's like certain things that that create a buzz and that's that's usually the material that they're looking for. So they look for 
graphic accidents and and violent crimes and affluent like white areas you know like predominantly white areas or like white victims like sad to say but that's still true today like if you ever look at people like missing people um the only ones that ever get coverage are like pretty white girls or something because those are the only ones that america cares about apparently yep which is sad but basically looking for looking for these crimes in places where these crimes wouldn't normally happen Like, who's that girl that was from, like, New York doing a a road trip to, like, California or something, and she went missing? Gabby Petito. Petito. Um, That was just, like, such an odd case, just all around. So Lou hears everything that Nina's saying to him, and he, I think he takes it to heart. Like, he's using this as, like, his Bible, you know? These are, like, his Ten Commandments. How serious does he get? He gets so serious that he even hires an assistant. So he hires Rick, who is a young homeless man desperate for money. What are your guys' thoughts on Rick when this guy finally comes into the picture? Of of Rick himself? Like his character, you know, like when he first comes up and he's kind of naive and doesn't really, he's not really exactly. educated. Exactly, he's naive. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. He's just desperate for money and he has no idea what he's getting himself into, poor guy. Did you feel bad for him? Because we know what Lou's capable of, and but we don't really know quite know where Rick right. yeah. stands on this, what his character's like. Yeah, I, I just felt I just felt kind of bad for that guy because I was like, knowing what was gonna happen to him and stuff, I was just like, dang, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, you know. I, I remember thinking like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like he's getting assistant, and I was eager to see where it's gonna go from here. But also at the same time, I think quickly and like early on, especially in like the interview process, you see that he seems like a nice kid, but not too bright. I was very much thinking like, oh man, this guy's gonna like use him and manipulate him in some way yeah i mean he was so quick to to shoot him down he, he was so quick to gaslight him you know to just keep him at the he kept like turning level. shit on him and against him mm-hmm. remember when he lets him decide his own wage he's like so uh when when am i gonna get paid because I, I need something and so he's like okay so how much do you want to get paid and he's just like sitting there staring at him again with the bulging eyes <laughs> yeah yeah like fifth uh, 25 <laughs> and so he's like okay that works okay he's like i could have said more huh? yeah he's like i i should have said more yeah you could have gotten more <laughs> man that sucks you know a lot of it is like you have to be able to advocate for yourself otherwise people will take advantage of you just like put him right in the right on the spot right right he was calling his bluff and he knew that he was going to say some sort of like low number and so he was like all right done because he doesn't know how that stuff works yet and, and it's all relative, really. Like, if you don't really have anything, you don't have any bills or whatever, like 25, you might be able to make that stretch for a little bit. And that might be a lot of money to someone. Did they ever mention how much he was making before he, you know, started quote-unquote negotiating? Um, no, right? Rick? Yeah. Was it 25 a night or 25 an hour? I thought it was like a night. A, a night. Well, because when he starts negotiating, he says 75 a night. Right, right. So at least he bumps it up a bit. Hmm. You can bet that they were not getting stories or like any events happening every single night. There were probably times where you're just like out all night and you're like, there's nothing to capture. So there's nothing to get paid for. Yeah. I think this is when um, it's, it starts to pick up a little bit, you know, like it starts getting a little grittier and we start to see Lou in like a even worse light than we already were. And that's when oh, he yeah. sees that accident doing the tampering. He's the first one on scene. No one else is around. Someone got ejected from the car from what it looked like. Yeah. He finds like a good spot. Wait, oh, no. Uh, can't really see him. <laughs> Hold on real quick. 
and just drags the guy over. over the guy might be dead. Like, we won't Terrible. even know. And he was uh, dead. Yeah, because he was like, oh, he's dead. Damn. By fabricating it, he actually get a dope shot from it, apparently. And uh, yeah, that seems to get him quite a bit more money. He's easing into it. He's finding his groove. These things are starting to come a little bit more naturally for him now, you know, a little bit easier. If he's able to consistently bring him quality material, then they're a little bit more likely to pay him more. So it seems like in just like a, a couple months, he's able to rack up quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Now they have like a laptop, a scanner, and better car. What do you guys think yeah. of the car? I have a few thoughts about this car. Are, are those thoughts, damn, I would have really liked that car back in the day? So I actually do like the Challenger, but I'm just fucking annoyed with two things, actually. He's going to be doing a shit ton of driving. So he's going to be constantly filling up because that thing's a gas guzzler. And then two, oh, actually three. Well, I guess uh, this kind of combines. He was just trying to get a fast car, right? I think so, yeah. His thought process was like, I just want to get from A to B super quickly. Yeah. But also at the same time, he's going to be easy to spot in both like the color as well as like the loud exhaust and everything of having a muscle car. Yeah, I think he should have at least rethought the color. That's That might be a little bit more on the impulsive uh, sociopath side. He's like, ah, you know, he's, it's, he's not really thinking of the bigger plan. He's just really thinking of the, his little inner kid wanting this car. Almost like a, a way to prove to himself he's, he's arrived, sort of. You start making quite a bit more money. You kind of do want to reward yourself in some way, you know? So this is almost like his reward. Right. So I'm going to get myself a dope car. Like, he doesn't really look like someone that would be into cars. Like, what was he driving before? Like, a little beater. Yeah, but he's allowed himself to dream. Now he has something that people are going to be talking about. In a way, it's going to draw eyes on him that he otherwise wouldn't want because you don't want eyes on you. You just want to be able to like do your thing in the shadows, you know, get in, get out and not be seen, do what you need to do. But if these signs start popping up like, oh, yeah, th- this crime scene has been tampered with, who was around here that could have tampered with this? You're always going to think like, shit, you know, I keep seeing that red muscle car everywhere I go. Well, I think for him, there, there's a there's a point of pride where he thinks he can't get caught. It's like he'll even he doesn't care. It's very much. Uh, He's like rubbing it in their face, like I'm doing shit right in front of you. Way, right, and you can't prove it. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, when I'm there, you know, I'm gonna get good footage. <laughs> and and if there's anything that looks like it's there's been tampering, good luck trying to pin it on me. Sure. And also another thing too that I just thought of. So if you're gonna be hauling equipment around, it's gonna be annoying to load up stuff in the back seat. So most more often than not, you're probably just gonna be taking stuff in and out of the trunk. But everyone else, you know, there's a reason why these stringers, they all drive vans. You know, you can have everything you need with you all at one time. But I don't know, it seems like he's very much limiting himself driving a car like that. He's not thinking that far ahead. And he's just thinking about the now. And right now, all I have is this one camera. Eventually, I think he gets a couple like he he and Rick will record from like different angles. You know, you can get like B-roll or whatever. Well, I think he is thinking about the future. Because he knows that right now it's it's just important to get there first and get the best footage. True, and true, true, true. Eventually, as he expands, and you know, like you see at the end where he has, you know, he has a van and he has more than one van. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can have you know multiple teams going to multiple locations and what at once. And maybe you know, speed isn't necessarily the top priority like it is when you're first starting out. So I wonder if you you do have to make a trade off. Like, should you focus more on speed or efficiency? That kind of shows me that 
it was the inexperience because I don't think he got that idea until he talked to Joe later. Like Joe was like telling him about his plans for like future expansion and stuff like that. So I think he kind of just like ripped that idea from Joe. Maybe I, I should just do that myself. At least that's my theory. Um, what'd you guys think of the date between Lou and Nina? And that ultimate awkwardness. Yeah, that shit was um, fucking weird and I uncomfortable. I felt bad for her because she was, she was so pressured into it. Yeah. so like manipulated into it you know and then yeah you know at the dinner where he pressures her to sleep with him and you know mm. you later find out she does and they have like an ongoing sexual relationship that's alluded to several times but thankfully we don't have to see <laughs> there's a lot of um because you know relationships are are already inherently complex anyway in any form but i think it was especially complex here because you know, she's, she's like getting into like cougar territory. She's like an older lady. He's, he's supposed to be like a really young guy, just barely getting into the game. It was interesting seeing the power struggle here because Nino's has been in the more powerful position since like the beginning of the movie, you know, like up until this point, buy this off you, but not that, like you need to get better material. Yeah. He's been improving and he's almost like positioning himself in a way that Instead of him needing her, she needs him. Yeah, definitely. Because she needs her ratings to go up, otherwise they're about to get shut down or something like that, and he can provide that for her. But they call it the sweeps or something like that, so it was like critical that they get the, the ratings at this uh, yeah. this specific time. So again, him being so smart, like he picked up on that. He's he's like thinking three steps ahead, whereas like I, I don't I think she was kind of underestimating him. Yeah. He was very like robotic and so void of emotion you know he was just he was saying these words and responding but it was like offensive and it was kind of hurtful and it was awkward and it was so many yeah. different things going on here <laughs> yeah definitely so awkward to watch mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just anytime he talks it's awkward to watch <laughs> he did a good job on that and the way that he just flips on her like all the details about the new station and like her position in it and what her career looks like right now. And man hits her with that reality check for sure. Yeah. And then he does it again later too, when he's asking like to basically be part of their team, you know, like introduce me to these people and these people. And you mentioned my company by name when you air my stuff and pay me what I tell you I want, you know, without, without negotiating pretty much. And hmm. we've all worked with those people that, we don't really like but we kind of are forced to work with yeah especially when in those situations when they're getting the praise or like you almost have to uh pretend like you like this person when you really don't but it's kind of for the the greater good like it's, it's more for like the morale or just for like the dynamic of the company or something you kind of have to just bite the bullet and go through with it yeah that's that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thankfully never had to sleep with one though <laughs> side note that mexican food that they're eating looked pretty bomb though <laughs> that place that he was talking about dang you want to go get some mexican oof oh i should probably also mention that we had a little bit of a technical difficulty when we were initially trying to record this episode so um steph got booted from the chat <laughs> steph left the chat and then uh that was fun. michael was going through um, some health issues at the time. So his voice was just completely depleted. So we just decided to just pick this up, you know, a few days later and uh, return to part two. So that's where we're picking up now. I'm alive. <laughs> I know. Voice we're we're all better. alive. <laughs>
maybe a little worse for the wear, but I think I guess we all survived whatever sickness that was that we tried to tough it out through. I wasn't down with the sickness. Yeah, no, neither was I. N- none I, of I, us were really. I think I gave it the we, old. We try to try. be. Yeah, we try to be down with sickness, and it it didn't work out. Took me out. It did not work out. So yeah, um, after that dinner scene, fellow stringer Joe makes another appearance, and this time, um, you know, he's he's almost trying to butter up Lou. Lou's just walking back to his car after uh, leaving the station, and Joe is just kind of hanging outside waiting for him to show up, and he's actually trying to recruit him this time. You know, he has a job offer for him, and he lets him know what his new business model is going to be, and he's super excited about it, and, you know, he's telling him that it's going to be like the the way of the future and almost like on the uh, the bleeding edge of innovation in terms of stringers. So um, unexpectedly, you know, Lou basically just turns them down without even hearing them out. You know, it sounds like a nice offer, but I prefer to work for myself nah, now. Yeah. It's like once you got that taste of being your own boss, you handle all the money coming in. You know, he's not going to try to leave that to someone else who's going to just give him scraps, you know, table scraps after he gets his. Will also be... In- in, in light of what you were saying before about how he's he's on the rise and he knows mm-hmm. um what's her name that that character nina. he knows basically yeah nina he knows that he's got her where he wants her so oh, he's under his thumb yeah well yes, under himself exactly. as well so like he has more to offer than um the other stringer does at this point he, he knows like I'll, I'll figure out the rest along the way he's, he's got the big picture he's got i mean he's got the he knows what he needs to do be there on time he gets there fast he's got the car um at this point, yeah, so he's... He's got his own business model. Right. Yeah. In comparison to Joe's, it seems kind of archaic because everything that Joe is saying, it sounds like it makes sense. You know, he's like, yeah, you upload to a FTP and then you have the station log into it and they just download it and boom, they have it. And you can just keep going. You don't even have to drive to the station. And he has two, yeah. m- like multiple vehicles, you know, so he, he can hit up like more scenes at one time. And so it makes sense. But he gave away the secret sauce, though, the fact that he, he know, now knows that he can upload that way. He's like, mm, I'm going to keep that one tucked away. His little back pocket. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a huge mistake by him. And I, I think he, he felt comfortable doing that, Joe, because he didn't expect to be turned down. Last time he ran into Lou, he was just wet behind the ears. Begging, yeah. He had no idea what the hell he was doing. And so he, I think he figured that, okay, you know, he's, he's doing pretty well for himself. He's starting to understand how the process works now. Let me go ahead and scoop them up. Because I think in a lot of ways, that's similar to a lot of employers where, <laughs> I mean, you have people that are trying to get experience, but they don't want to hire you for an entry level position until you get experience. How are you supposed to get experience if no one wants to hire you? And it's always that yeah. perpetual cycle. Right. That's the whole like, I need money to get a car, but I need a car to get money. <laughs> yeah. Especially in yeah, California. I feel like that was like my whole, yeah. Oh yeah, especially in California. Our infrastructure was just not built the same way that places like Chicago and New York, you know, everything was built up and just makes a a hell of a lot more sense. But yeah, yeah, definitely got to have that car. So, you know, I was kind of wondering was how do you think it would have turned out if Lou had joined Joe? I feel like they would have been a pretty damn good duo. I don't think so. I don't think so. I I think what would have happened is um, I think he would have he would have grown tired. I think I think Lou would have grown tired of of having to be under him. And I think he would have tried to find a way 
he's a conniver. He's always looking for, for, you know, what's in it for him. He's a total, total, like, like we talked about before, like sociopath, psychopath. In fact, actually, I, I was watching a, a video. Actually, I've seen a couple of things that are pretty interesting about the, the, the movie. But um, one thing in particular that they noted about the cinematography is that there's a lot of Boca around Lou. It's as though he's sort of removed. So whenever you see him, there's sort of this fuzziness behind him. Everything is almost shot with it is always shot with a telephoto lens. So he's in focus, but what's behind him is not. And then when it shows other people, it's all in focus. They're using more of a wide angle lens. So it's like everybody else is part of the real world, but Lou is not. He's only thinking of himself. So that mm -hmm. being the case, he's the center of his world. He's the center, correct. He's the center of his world. And therefore, um, he's always looking for an angle. He's always looking for a way. So if anything else, he would have, it would have been like two beta fish in the same fish tank. He would have found a way to. Mm. I could kind of see him. it also being like where they just dominate, you know, they're just killing it. And then eventually I think yeah. if, if he felt like he was getting kind of fucked over by Joe, I think he would have eventually just booted him or like maybe got him killed or something. Right. He's kind of stepping down. I will go ahead and take over and then also rename it too to whatever he names it to at the end. So right. in a way, maybe those two timelines would have eventually just met later on. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I yeah, I guess to your uh, what you guys said before, they probably they, they could have been successful. It's possible that they would have been successful if he played nice and and played by uh Joe's rules, but mm -hmm. otherwise, yeah, I think he it eventually would have not ended well, I guess I mean to say for Joe. Yeah. Yeah, I, you're right. And you know, it, it does show Joe's true colors because as soon as he gets turned down, he doesn't take it like a professional. He's just like, you know, fuck you, no, you not. prick or whatever what is he called? <laughs> you pansy. You pansy. Or he calls him a dweeb or something like that, right? Which is kind of like a dated I don't term. even remember, but yeah, I know. <laughs> but he says bra a lot. <laughs> Again, I, I think that's shown his sound cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Like trying to seem younger and like he's like trying to use like their lingo to communicate with someone that's younger. But obviously, Lou doesn't talk that way uh -uh. when yeah. he uses stuff like dweeb. That was probably right. like you loser, totally. you know, type of thing. But that was like common yeah. when he was yeah. younger. And so that's just something he defaults to. Dweeb. That is such a 90s, 90s term. Seriously. It's funny because Lou kind of he kind of has to put his foot in his mouth right after this. There's like some sort of important plane crash story and Lou right. gets there late because there's some sort of like miscommunication with the navigation, right? His navigator. Who was it? Rick? Yeah. Mm. Rick gets turned around and so he gets there late. Joe's already leaving. He's just like, sorry, man, you're late. And by the way, we're also covering that other story that's like on the other side of L.A. So you kind of lost both ways. Dang. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And with Lou being an anti-hero, I kind of get enjoyment out of him, you know, having to eat his words a little bit. Mm, mm -hmm. He's kind of a piece of shit himself. And when he also gets like a reality check, it's kind of nice to see him squirm a little bit. Right. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't... I, I was just going to say I agree because he's so confident and so, so sure mm. of himself and such an asshole, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to see him... On one hand, you know, it's it's kind of satisfying to see him, like, get put in his place. But then, like, he kind of takes it out on Rick, you know? Poor Rick. Yeah, that's true. Like, anytime something happens, Rick is that punching bag. Oh, and every time, he always finds a way to blame him. Every time. All the time. Manipulative, for gaslighting sure. Gaslighting him so hard, yeah. Oh, gaslighting him. And yeah. it's funny because Nina, after they have their verbal agreement or whatever, it might have been physical agreement, actually, when you think about it. That physical contract. It definitely was. Yeah, yeah. Consummation. Yes. Consummated. Um, Nina, she sees the stuff that Lou brought to her and she kind of chews him out for it. 
Like she's not afraid to step up to him now. I think before that whole deal went down, she was just kind of just trying to still be nice and protect him a little bit. I don't think she feels that she needs to protect him in any way. I'm just going to give it to you straight. Now she has something in it. You know, she's she's not just getting out of it. She's also giving. So and she's frustrated. Yeah, just like him. Yeah. So she's a little bit more invested in the stuff that he brings her. I wonder how accurate it is when portraying like that field. You can't be getting excellent footage all the time. Yeah, now when I see stuff on the news, I'm always like, I wonder if it was stringers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right, 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 right. Yeah, the good stuff. Because even now, like, there's more crowdsourcing involved, right? They're like, hey, if you see something, film it on your phone. They don't even care if you have shitty footage. It's like shitty looking footage. It's You were there. Well, now with people that have the iPhones and Pixels and stuff, uh, the higher end phones, any footage you take right. looks pretty awesome, you know, in my opinion. I mean, it's 4K. With you being a photographer, how do you feel about using your phone versus a dedicated camera? I <clears throat> I still prefer the, the camera. And um, I started off with, okay, so I actually started really pursuing photography again when I was shooting things with my iPhone 11 Pro. I had just upgraded from the 7 to the 11, and it was a much better camera, and they had the whole digital bokeh. So it was it was using that camera that inspired me i was like oh, this is okay but it's like still faking it you know it's faking the blur in the background i really want the blur I, I want it to be more intentional so it just depends on what you're looking for um because i'm more into like art photography than i am into i don't know anyway it's hard to match the quality of of what a, a real dedicated camera can do and for those uh, me included that aren't really familiar with the terms what what's bokeh right right so bokeh is that is that blur that you see in the background so when you see somebody who's in focus but in the background uh, the lights are a little bit more or, or the images are more rounded uh, and more blurry and kind of bleed together um, that's bokeh in the background that's cool um did you want to plug your page where you upload your <laughs> sure, photos sure sure i mean that's fine yeah absolutely okay. i'm welcome to have other folks check it out. Um, Espinoza, it's my last name, um, Espinoza, but it's all with THs uh, <laughs> instead of the S's. So it's E-T-H-P-I-N-O-T-H-A. What's that name again? Or Espinoza, or Espinoza. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> so yeah, frustrated with his situation. This is one of the scenes I saw in the trailer that really captivated me. And I was like, oof, man, this thing looks awesome. Looks like a, an mm. awesome like drama thriller where uh, Lou is getting frustrated. And he's like to the point where he's kind of gathering his thoughts. And, you know, he's trying to deal with that rage that's building up inside of him. It doesn't seem like he typically struggles to pick up a lot of things. Like he mm. seems pretty intelligent. And um, it seems like a lot of things come naturally to him. But it seems like he's just he's not quite able to make it to that next level when it comes to being a stringer. So he's just in the bathroom, you know, he's looking down at the sink and he glances up at his reflection in the mirror and he just, ah! and he fucking goes psycho on that thing. Right. He's like, he rips it off the mm -hmm. wall and he's like shaking it or whatever. Doesn't he like punch it? Too? He does punch it. Yeah. And it breaks. He does punch it and it breaks. And actually he, in real life, Jake Gyllenhaal fucked up his hand. It had to be in a cast. And so there were certain scenes that toward the end oh, really? that, that, uh, he kind of like hid his hands behind his back. They, they did all sorts of stuff to try to hide the fact that he had to wear this cast. You know what kind of sounds similar to? It sounds similar to when we were talking about Seven, the movie Seven. Oh, right. 
it seemed familiar. Yeah, Brad Pitt, he injured his arm mm -hmm. as well during that chase scene. And so he had a cast during the like last third of the movie. And they had to really do a bunch of interesting things to kind of like explain how he got that, not show it as much. Mm, right. And uh, by this point, Lou is getting kind of desperate. So he actually gets his hands dirty and ends up sabotaging Joe's dirtier. van. What a piece of shit move, you know, like he's just like cuts his brakes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just when you think you can get any lower. Yeah. He's been showing that he's capable of doing these really heinous acts earlier in the film. I mean, he like right at the beginning, he attacks that security guard guy and steals his watch instead of just like beating him up so he can get away. No, he's like, oh, let me get that watch, too. I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. It kind of almost looks like he beats him up for the watch. Like he could have just kept trying to sweet talk his way out of it. But then he looks down at the watch and he looks at the security guard and then he attacks him, you know? Hmm. I mean, was that a Rolex? I didn't get a good view of Probably. it. Probably. That'd be my guess. If nothing else, it's more of the memento. It's more of like, I'm better than you. Like he wants this thing to re always remember this guy by. It's like um, a trophy. It's almost like trophy. Thank you. Exactly. It's like a serial killer. It's like a trophy. In a way, it's like... um. He got away with it. Yeah, these little victories he has, he then remembers them by. Mm -hmm. And so he can always look back and go like, yeah, no matter what, even in his low moments, even though he did punch that mirror and had, had a low moment himself, he's got little things to remind himself of victories that he's that he's accomplished. And that watch, always wearing that watch, will always remind him of he bested that guy. Granted, this is a security guard and like what, what's there to really be like proud of. But do you think that Lou felt that he just couldn't beat Joe at his own game? Like if he just continued to, to do his thing and get good footage and tamper with evidence. Yeah, I, I do think he thinks he he's definitely saw Joe as a professional threat. He had everything that Lou gets at the end of the movie, you know? Do you think that there's room for someone like Joe and someone like Lou at, at the same time? Because they weren't going to the same news station. It looked like Joe was doing his own thing and, you know, he had his own connections yeah. and his own rapport with someone. And then um, Nina was obviously working closely with Joe or with Lou. Yeah, so, so it, was, it was kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I think there's always room. At the end of the day, competition always makes the competitors better. You know, sure. they, it makes you raise your game. And so, of course, that made... That made him raise his game, but he, rather than raise, actually, no, rather than raise his game, he decided to lower himself, take him, take him out of the game. This is how he deals with this sort of thing. If he can't beat him, then kill him. Pretty much. Or take Basically. him, like, can't beat him, then take him out of the game, at least. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the mentality I, I have never adopted or respected myself, is if there's someone better than you or doing better than you, and you wish them to fail, so that way you can be better than them, just by default. Yeah, that's... Yes, that's the definition of envy. Uh, jealousy is where you want what somebody else has, but envy is where you, where you want the other, the other person to fail. That's yeah, and yeah. instead of you elevating yourself to their level or past, you just want them to do worse so that way you can feel better about yourself. Exactly. Immediately after Lou cuts Joe's uh, brake line, then it's like later that night, it seems like they hear about this nasty crash. And it, I thought this was genius how they added it in the movie where Rick is directing him towards like a big story. So he's like, hey, there's something going on over here. And then it's almost like Lou has these blinders on, right? So he's just like driving in the opposite direction. Rick's like, hey, are you listening to what I'm telling you? Just a regular car accident. Like, why would you want to go there? But Lou knows. He drives right up to it and he's like, hey, park the car and gets his camera. And he just walks up and it's the van that Joe was driving. And Joe is like getting carried into the, mm -hmm. the ambulance on a stretcher. They kind of like 
lock eyes for a second, you know? And uh-huh. I know you did this, you son of a bitch. And then even Rick's like, mm. he, Rick's like, hey, man, he's one of us. Let's, you know, let's not do this. And hey, a story's a story. Lou's Lou. Yeah. He wanted to like rub it in his face, a too. A story's a story, and Lou is Lou. It wasn't even enough for him to just be taken out of the game, but he wanted to like rub it in his face by making Joe the story. Right. Well, not only is he making him the story, but as we just said before about the watch, he's getting a memento. Now he has film footage besting him. Even though I I kind of felt bad for Joe in that moment, it was strangely satisfying. In this story, Lou is the main character. He's kind of the one that you should be rooting for. And it was just kind of nice to see Lou finally get one over. Right, right. To to see the the little man start to best him. Because, yeah, you're looking at this and you really, because the story is really following Lou. You're kind of pulling for him. You're like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird satisfaction, mm. even though you know he's a dick. Yeah. Worse than a dick. And I don't even think Lou was necessarily trying to kill him. I think he wanted to, for sure, just take him out of the game for a while. So that way he could catch up. Take him out. He was just like kind of satisfied with seeing his work, the aftermath of what he had done. Oh, yeah, that it shows you this guy is he's unhinged. He's willing to do whatever mm-hmm. it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The story kind of starts turning around right after that because not only did he take out his biggest competition lou and rick arrive on on site for a triple homicide slash home invasion in like the uh the affluent area of granada hills they're the first ones there like you said stuff no cops are there and so lou is just like hell yeah let's rush inside and get whatever footage we can the first thing he gets though is the murderers leaving they were actually still there when they show up that's crazy he he shows up and he's filming and then he actually gets the gunshots and he gets them leaving. He gets their car, their license plate. He gets what they look like. And then he goes inside, you know, and I just have to mention this now, you know, doing the mom thing, you know, you know, when they, they go into the, the baby oh, yeah. room and he goes into the crib and there's nobody in the crib or whatever. And they, even on the news, they play um, that up. They're like, Oh, you know, yeah, they play that up. You know, obviously Nina's telling him to play that up and then, Oh, you know, is there a baby in there? Is there a baby in there? And then, uh, you know, they, they point the camera in there and there's no baby. But everything was on. Like, the mobile was on and, like, the little the little light that shines the stars on the ceiling was mm-hmm. on and the music was on. All I can think is, was there a baby? Was there a baby that was taken? Because why would all that stuff be True, on? yeah. But then later you find out that it's a drug house, so maybe it was just staged. That's funny that they would have that going, though. Yeah. I'm like, why would they have that going? <laughs> like, if they didn't if there wasn't a baby in there at some yeah, point because that's all know? thinking was like did they straight up just snatch up a baby <laughs> and we just kind of overlooked that yeah the extent of like what was happening like they saw the suspects leaving he got the license plate information and then he goes inside and the bodies are just there you know just right for the recording this was kind of going to be like the big huge story that was going to elevate him to the next level I don't think he's ever going to get something like this again. You know, this is like a, a once in a yeah. lifetime type of thing for a stringer. Obviously. Definitely. And I think he recognizes that too. He's intelligent enough to kind of stretch it out and, and milk all the worth out of it. Um, he takes it back to the station. Dude, they are like ecstatic. Well, it seems like most of them, some of them are kind of questioning the ethics of this, which I'm glad that there's people. Those are the good people in the movie, right? I bet some people are just bringing some crazy footage to them all the time. And they have to decide what to use. Yeah. Right, right. 
they ultimately settle on like, well, is this going to be too graphic for TV? And can we really use this? Because we haven't notified like the, the victims next of kin or whatever. And so they're like, oh, we're just we're just yeah, blur so them out. That's why Nina's like, just blur it all Protect out. Yeah. their identities and all that stuff, just so that way we can get like the effect. Does it really shock you guys that the new stations will basically just fabricate a story like they'll use it? And instead of just going off of what they have, they, they start like presuming stuff. They're like, oh, this is like a, a crazy home invasion. And this is a nice family that just got murdered for no reason and stuff like that. When that wasn't even the case, they didn't even have all the information. I'm sure that it's not quite that extreme in real life. Or maybe it is. Actually, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can't I can't really say that I'm sure. But, um, you know, I'm thinking that they probably I mean, they probably exaggerated the the stringer profession. And they're probably also exaggerating, you know, this this side of it, too, I would guess. Any anybody out there want to weigh in that's uh, involved in news? Feel free. <laughs> hmm. I was just thinking, like, if you really watch the news and kind of pay attention to what they're showing you, there's always some sort of narrative or agenda that they're trying to push. Oh, yeah. When it comes to just local events happening around the city, I always feel like they have to bump up the rating. It's almost like clickbait, but instead of clickbait, like it's almost like watch bait. Yeah, it is because they want to. They have to draw you in. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Right, right. To stick around after the commercial. Most of the time, too, I, I remember I would stick around for whatever that big story was, and they would hold it until the end. Yep. Like a yeah. five second, like, oh yeah. By the mm -hmm. way, everyone was fine. <laughs> yeah, that was irritating. So true. <laughs> Pre click bait, bait. watch bait. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, he he just gets creepier and lower he gets creepier and lower mm -hmm. because that you know he's obviously withholding information because he doesn't disclose to anybody that he has the the film of the suspects and their vehicle and their license plate and all that and so he takes it upon himself to look up the license plate and find out who they are and then follow them around he understands the evidence he has he, he understands the situation he's in and that's around the time that the police detectives show up at his apartment. So the detectives ask the news station, hey, where'd you get that footage? Because that's some um, that's evidence, you know, that we could use. And so they direct it towards Lou. And so they track Lou down. Mm -hmm. They ask him how he got the footage and if they can get a copy of it. So he gives them a copy, but he leaves off the very beginning part. He, he, he looks up these guys and he follows them around so that he can get them in a place where he can call the cops and then start filming, you know? <laughs> on his terms wow he's straight up yeah. tampering with evidence and he doesn't care because he he's trying to make a bigger story out of it and like you said he's able to track down the location of that license plate so they get the license plate to that black suv and he finds the address and him and rick are staking it out so what did you guys think of the conversation between Lou and Rick when they were like doing the negotiating with the wage? Because Rick was saying that he kind of wants a pay raise now. You know, Lou saying, oh, I'm expanding my company. I'm going to make you vice president or whatever. And I think he was just trying to kind of, you know, throw him a, a line, like throw him like a some bait. You know what I mean? Like a hook to hook him. Mm -hmm. And um, he was using it to like, sell him. Yeah. Yeah. He was trying to keep him interested. He's doing the narcissistic thing where. You know, they, they, they give you just enough to keep you interested and keep you hoping for more. And then she's slapping you. <laughs> yeah, she's, she, she's I just see her fingers like <laughs> at the bottom of the screen. I was thinking you could hear it probably, but yeah. Um, we can. <laughs> so he's mm -hmm. pulling that crap. And then of course, Rick starts um, 
grow, you know, he grows a pair and he's like, I, I want, you know, or he's, or he's like, do I get a raise? And then Lou's just like, yeah, how much? And then he's just kind of like, uh, 75 a night. And, you know, they, they move on or whatever. But then when they get to the restaurant and the SUV's there and everything, and Rick kind of realizes what Lou's asking him to do, he's like, no, then I want half, you know? And he gets a little ambitious. He's like, remember what I said before about you? What did he say? He says something it was about him. Um, at the critical moment, he needs to to do the right thing or whatever. Like he says, he's like, you remember what I said about the critical moment? You're not doing the right thing right now, you know, kind of thing. Mm, okay. And then so Rick thinks about it. He's like, all right, fine. If I'm gonna go out there, I want half. His little pep talk. It's funny that his his pep talk gets turned around on him. Exactly. Rick essentially gets <laughs> him with that swerve that Lou got on Nina earlier in the movie. Yeah. You know, Lou, he thinks about it for a little bit and is probably sitting there deciding like, oh, I need to get rid of him now because he's getting a little too ambitious. It's That's pretty wild, right? Like, I, I had no idea what Lou was going to do because I was just thinking like, man, he got he got got. He got <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy to see because Rick is so you wouldn't expect that he would be capable of, of something like that. And he was able to understand his worth, understand what they were doing or trying to do. He used that to bargain for a higher wage. So good for him, honestly. Good for him, but not with the right dude. No. Yeah. What happens after they do the stakeout then? So like, what's Lou's plan? What is he trying to do? Set it up for some nice footage. But he doesn't exactly know how it's going to happen. Like he's just kind of playing it by ear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's just like, well, let me call some cops over here and see what happens. And so he describes the guys to the, to 911 and... Um, you know, he listens on the police scanner as they send send guys over. And uh What'd you guys think of that restaurant scene? Did you did you feel like it nuts. was gonna be it was gonna blow up as bad as it did? Not necessarily. I mm. mean, yeah, I feel like it could have either No, I th- I, th- I think it was gonna it was gonna be that bad. <laughs> How about you, Michael? No, that's <clears throat> it was cold blooded. Yeah, I yeah. Even with knowing what uh what what um Lou's capable of. It was kind of like what I expected, but also not what I expected, if that makes any sense at all. I was also thinking, like, there's a possibility that the cops could have shown up, the criminals could have been like, oh, shit, they got us, and then just surrendered. But, you know, it actually happened the way that Lou actually wanted. He just wanted shit to hit the fan so that yep. way he can get on footage. And again, this is still the story. This is like an extension yeah, of that yeah, triple idea. murder homicide story. He's just milking that for all it's worth. And so this is still kind of like in relation to that story. Hmm. And this was a pretty dope action scene too. And it, he wasn't even, they weren't even in it. The restaurant scene, like they're not even in it. Like you're just watching it from afar and like the cops are shooting each other. <laughs> and, yeah. And then you end up in an in a epic, ch- ch- uh, excuse me, epic chase scene. Yeah. This was the scene that they threw in the trailer too. So you know, it kind of shows the black SUV, the cops. Is he recording while he's he's doing the chase? I think so, but I feel like, I feel like what like where is the line where you're messing with like a crime scene and a chase and stuff? You know, like where where is that line drawn? You know, like that he inserts himself into this chase and most people just have that understanding, like, hey, I should back off if there's this dangerous yeah. chase scene. But all he cares about is like, man, this is some good shit right now. Yeah, right? I need to get on film, and it was pretty awesome too. I thought this was a pretty dope chase scene. And yeah, it's like, I I think the line, like how you're saying, the line is drawn when he's told to back off. But up until then, he's just going to continue to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's very, uh, very Machiavellian. Yeah. 
the end justifies the means. There's nothing. So whatever he wants to get to, it doesn't matter how he get, what he has to do to get there. The fact that he wants to get it at all costs, yeah, very Machiavellian. So yeah, of course he's gonna he's gonna play it out until until somebody calls him out on it, and then okay, 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 but then he'll find another way around. Do you think that Joe had he still been in his game and and if Lou just let let him be, let him do his thing? Do you think if Joe found out about the shit that Lou was doing, if Joe would actually try to do something similar, like he would kind of like drop to that level? I don't think he would go. I don't think he would go nearly as far as Lou would. Maybe he would push boundaries a little bit more, but I don't think he would ever go go Lou style. You know, I'll, I could see, I could see Joe maybe pretending to be his friend and be like, "Oh yeah, you know, you you always get all the good footage." But I maybe while Lou was recording the story. Joe was secretly recording Lou. Mm. And then so by the end of the movie, he has like this like undeniable evidence, you know, this like video package that he put together. And it's a whole different movie right there. If he sold that, yeah, to <laughs> yeah. a new station, that would have been wild. Yeah. Like if Lou is just watching TV at home and then he just sees himself like dragging bodies around. Jail now. And... Oh, dude, that would have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Alternate ending right there. Seriously. Yeah. So then, so then they end up in a crash, right? Oh, yeah, the SUV just flips over. Yeah, and uh, Lou actually goes over there, and he's like, oh, he's dead. He's dead, Rick. Get this. This scene is so fucked up, dude. Right? He doesn't even say, I think, because I would have probably made him yeah. still get paused. Like, are you sure? No, he straight up says, he's dead. Get over here and get the shot. That's true. And then, obviously, that's not the case, because he comes to, and Rick, unfortunately gets shot down i think when he cut joe's lines to his van he wasn't necessarily trying to kill him like i said he was just he just wanted to take him out of the game for a while yeah but i think unfortunately for rick he was hoping that rick was gonna get definitely fatally wounded yeah yeah i agree he wasn't trying to kill joe and he didn't but he was trying to kill rick and he did right and so yeah he he takes out a gun and shoots rick down and lose filming the whole thing from a from a safe distance of because course. he's a sick, sick bastard. <laughs> and then he goes up to Rick and, and basically films him dying. Such an expression on his face that's just so void of any empathy for this yeah, guy. You know? like so he just creepy. walks up and, and he's just kind of like so staring of fact, like really. into Rick's eyes as he's dying there on the ground. And he just, you know, slowly lifts up that camera like, you know, I got to record this too. It's so messed up when he takes it to Nina. And of course, Nina is all, you know, shock and awe or whatever. Yeah, she's she's all kissing loose feet or whatever um and and then at some point she's like she's like this is amazing this is amazing wait isn't that your partner so she totally recognizes him and did you guys feel bad for rick or were you just like hey you signed up for it you know like you're a grown-ass man you knew what you're getting into no i felt bad for rick because he was expertly manipulated and he didn't deserve it you're in this world where you lie to people to their face and now you just can't really trust anyone because you know how you are and you don't want people to do that to you. He's just never going to be able to trust anyone. Pretty much. But yeah, we, we finally see how how low he really go. He really is willing to go. And that is even risking the lives of those quote unquote closest to him, I guess you could argue. Mm -hmm. Right before they, they are about to air, someone comes up and they're like, oh, it was a drug house after all, you know, they... It wasn't just a family that got shot up and hmm. Nina's like, stick with what we were going to go with, you know? 
Right, because later, later on, you know? I was going to say, because later on, you can always come out with the truth. Like I said, you can always apologize. Ooh, my, our bad, our bad. We th- It was a family. There was a crib, we thought. But again. Yeah. The news is all about selling fear. It's not always, it's not, it's rarely ever good. So it's all about um, you being afraid that the same thing can happen to you. These people are out there. <laughs> and then Lou voluntarily speaks with the detectives again. So they want to talk to him because they you know one of them has a hunch that female detective she's like you know i don't think you're really telling me the whole truth i think you're telling me a partial truth she's like i can see straight through you dude he's a fucking pathological liar he has no problem and he 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 doesn't even hesitate that's part of that no continues on with his story no empathy no remorse no nothing victory at all costs wrapping up the movie um after lou talks to the detectives and um, basically gives them a BS story, but they don't have anything on them. They said they're going to be watching them and let them walk. So later on, we find out that Lou hires a team of interns to expand his business. And how you mentioned before, stuff he basically just takes Joe's idea. He Joe-defined himself. Mm-hmm. He has two vans. He has like the technology to to do whatever, like the FTP, I imagine, and all the tools necessary to be able to uh, do his job at the highest capacity you know the highest level yep and uh yeah he, he gives him like a this whole pep talk and everything you know i like the way that ends because he at the end of his his talk his speech he's basically telling him that i'm not telling you to do anything that i wouldn't be willing to do myself <laughs> a lot of bosses will tell you stuff like that you know it's and supposed to like, be reassuring but if you know him <laughs> in this case we actually know that lou would be willing to do all these crazy things. So he's basically asking his interns more. to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So he's basically, he's he's kind of like, he's developing a new breed, for better or for worse, a new breed of stringers. Yep. Right. Video production news. And then, yeah, it's like the final shot is they each get in their vans. I think they pair up, right? So yeah. there's like four people total. And so they pair up in the vans. They take off in different directions. And then, yeah, Critical. it just kind of like fades yeah. out. That was such an awesome movie it was definitely one of those stories that just it kind of caught me off guard you know like i wasn't expecting it to be such a solid story i thought it was just gonna be like a throwaway yeah like i had mentioned before because this is actually the first time i saw it all the way through and like i had mentioned before the first part of it i was kind of just like eh, you know but then i was definitely super into it as it as it went on overall would watch again (laughs) but not for jake gyllenhaal because he's creepy or is it for jake gyllenhaal i don't know (laughs) yeah a little backstory I used to, he was my celebrity crush in high school. So Eric mm-hmm. likes to point that out every so often. <laughs> I'll, like I'll make like little comments like, oh, too bad they couldn't get a better looking actor. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wrap, folks. If you made it to the end of our show, then have a safe trip home because we just cut your brakes. <laughs> oh, see, these are getting worse and worse. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts or closing comments? Jake Gyllenhaal was creepy in this. <laughs> but was he a good actor? Oh, yeah. He did yeah. a great job. Yeah, the cinematography is, is beautiful. Saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of the more boring parts of L.A. in this movie. So. Just showing like the just regular city of L.A. and all its little nuances and stuff. I think that's kind of collectively what makes L.A. L.A. Yeah. Me personally, I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Steph, how would you rate this one in terms of like all of jake's movies so far that you've seen i would say and you can just give me like top three or something uh yeah because i would say like october sky uh probably donnie darko than this 
Oh, interesting. Okay. How about you, Michael? Hmm. Hey, let's not forget day after tomorrow. Oh my god. Good point. So day after tomorrow, then October <laughs> Sky. Wow. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh dang! So it just edges Night Nightcrawler out, huh? Night Nightcrawler doesn't make the top three. Yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, I'm not sure that it makes. <laughs> no Prince of Persia love. Oh right, I'm not. I haven't seen it actually. What the... um... It's not that great. <laughs> Yeah, I would say, hmm. Yeah, this is. I, I don't know if this is top three. If it is, it's behind. Um, yeah, October Sky is up there. I don't know if it's number one for Bubble me, but Boy. Bubble Boy is definitely there. You go, dude. That's exactly it. Bubble oh, Boy. Five hundred dollar. That's right. Five hundred dollar. <laughs> oh my god, so good. Um, I totally forgot about that movie. I freaking love that, that movie. That movie's pretty good. Um, but no, no, no. I would say Nocturnal Animals would be probably number one for me. I haven't I seen, that one. seen that one. Tom Ford directed it. Tom Ford, the the designer. What's it about? Nocturnal Animals. Woo. Uh -huh. It's about a story written by um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And he gives a copy of it to his uh, former wife. And uh, and she's reading it. And the characters are kind Played of... Played by Amy Adams. Right. Amy Adams. But then Isla Fisher plays... Uh, the character. So anyway, it's it's basically it's supposed to kind of mirror it, it, the the characters feel similar to um, real life, um, and oh, it's okay. just like this really really uh, dark story about a family. It's pretty wild. It's an interesting story where it, it's kind of like there's a a real reality and then there's like a fictional reality and it, it's kind of showing you both around yeah, the same time it dips in and out so wow. you kind of so you'll see amy adams uh reaction to some of these things um but yeah um as we wrap up here uh do you guys have anything to recommend film or tv have i recommended everything everywhere all at once yet oh no i don't think so that, that is a great is movie so good yeah i agree so if you haven't checked that out check that out yeah i still have yet to see it usually i fall asleep like mid anything, but I was literally sitting on the edge of the couch. Like it's thought provoking for sure. Yeah. And so I, I've only actually seen it once, but I tried to absorb as much as I could. Nice. That's a good recommendation. How about you, Michael? Any recommendations? Yeah, I've got a, I got a couple. I would say um, for movies, I, I just saw tar tar. Huh. T a R and the a has like a, what do you call that? Like an accent over it, tar. It's the name of a. Okay. So it's like the name of a uh, conductor. It's all, it's it's played the the conductor is played by Kate Blanchett, and uh, mm, it's a actress. it's a she's amazing. And she was this is a movie she was actually nominated for an Academy Award for. So um, yeah, recently. So it's um. So this is based off a true story. No, or this is a real person. No, actually, it's not. But it's just it's it's done in such a way that it's. You'd believe it that it was real. It was it was so interesting. But yeah, just the, the whole world of uh, of a conductor and everything. But this this movie is like a I don't know what I would you call it like a I don't know if it's a psychological thriller, uh, but it's definitely a cerebral movie for sure. So movies have I've I've watched more TV shows than movies of uh for for a while now. But there's growing up I used to watch movies all the time. My pops would would take us to the theaters and everything. So anyway, having said all that, since I'm talking about TV shows as being the kind of thing that I tend to watch more of now. Again, uh, I played that theme earlier, but Succession is is don't sleep on it. This is the fourth and final season and uh we're near the near the end. Um I think uh yeah, this tomorrow they air the eighth 
episode. I'm not sure if it's the final or not, but oh, gotcha. that show is fucking awesome. Hilarious. Ter- I mean, just like these people, these rich people are, it's just interesting to watch. It's such a fun world to kind of, you know, be a fly on the wall anyway. What about you? What about you in terms of movies or, or shows you can recommend? I've actually seen quite a few because leading up to part one of this episode and then having to take like a week off and then record part two, I've seen about three notable movies that I, I'm willing to recommend to people. Mm-hmm. So have you heard of this movie called Renfield? Yes, that's the one where you follow the the uh, the right hand of Dracula, the, the, the henchman. Correct, yeah. It, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of what we do in the shadows. But it's actually way better than I expected because it kind of just looks like a dumb B movie, but... Not bad, actually. Hmm, okay. Pretty funny. If you like what we do in the shadows, it's kind of in the same realm as that. And then I also saw Bo is Afraid. I don't know if I mentioned that already, oh, but shit. that is a fucking weird ass movie. Oh, that's the one you've also seen. That's it. Yeah, yeah. When when you, I was like, there's something. I think I I just I I was traumatized so much by it that I had to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. This movie is like a fever dream. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't movie. think any other movie could ever have been described as fever dream compared to this movie. <laughs> this movie le- legitimately is a fever dream. After the first third of the movie, like the first act, I stopped trying to translate the movie to make it make sense and just enjoy the ride. And that's probably the best way to enjoy that movie is to just go with the flow and then just hold on your butts hold on to your butts yeah it's it's one where honestly you get more out of it the more that you're willing to be open to feeling because it's going to make you feel something it's gonna make you feel a lot of things at different times and (laughs) not the least of which is how afraid Bo is you're gonna feel that fear yourself (laughs) and the last one i wanted to mention really quick uh, that we saw the most recently was guardians 3 guardians of the galaxy 3 and that was great. I liked it. It was a nice uh, wrap up to the story. Very emotional, for sure. It's a it's a tearjerker in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it has it has a lot of the humor that you come to expect with the Guardians movies. So uh, I would recommend that one. But however, for you, I would not recommend because <laughs> the way they handle Adam Warlock was fucking lame, dude. That character sucks in that movie. And I knew it. And I mean, I like the guy. I like the actor. Uh, yeah, not, not. I just didn't see him as Adam Warlock in this movie. Adam Warlock in the comic books is uh, very different looking, and um, at least you know if you if you if you were to read what is it um, the Infinity Gauntlet, and then uh, which precedes the whole what is it uh, Infinity War? Infinity War, right? The Infinity Gauntlet precedes the Infinity War in the comic books, and Adam Warlock is is huge. But then again, Silver Surfer's in it too. Um, and, and plays a very important role there, but but Adam Warlock is badass. Like he's incredibly powerful. He's like the most one of the most powerful uh, uh, characters in um, in in Marvel. Affliction Auto's podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, five a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, give us a thumbs up or a like, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you again so much to listeners out there for joining Stephanie, Michael, and I. This has been Afflictionado's podcast, episode 25, Nightcrawler. And we will see you all next time. See you then, or I'll see you on another time.